Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. If you are listening live, thank you. Thank you from wherever you are listening in, and especially if you're from Israel. It is a very rainy morning. I've heard some complaints about the rain, but to be honest, to be fair, come on, guys. We need it. And not just do we need it, those of us who understand the Torah's words, understand it's exactly what was expected. This is exactly the rainy season. Oy va voy lano if it isn't raining. So it is raining, it is pouring, but nobody in this house is snoring except for Bailey the dog. So let's first say a happy good morning or good night to wherever you're listening in from, and I see that we have the U.S. is listening in. India is with us today. India, you haven't been here for a while. Welcome. Egypt, have a lot to say about Egypt. <laughs> Good morning, Egypt. Wonder if it's raining by you. Boketov Eretz Israel. Stay dry, leave on the heaters. Jamaica is with us. Hi, Jamaica. Germany, the Dominican Republic, and of course, my beloved South Africa. South Africa. Yeah. Okay, where's Canada? Well, Canada had better uh, listen in. I'm counting on them. So um, it has been, well, we're going to touch upon subjects that's the kind of stuff I really hate doing. You know, I don't like to talk about anything negative. Um, I like to only do the positive and, but A, I'm Jewish, so there is going to be some negative. And also we cannot ignore some of the events that have taken place in our holy Israel this week. Um, if people weren't sitting shiva, if people weren't mourning, if people weren't continually frightened, if our boys and girls, our beloved soldiers were not, not only guarding the border, the borders, but actually having to infiltrate where poison starts, many parents would be able to sleep much better sleeps at nice night here in Israel. But let's begin, first of all, by announcing for those of you who do not know, Sunday night and Monday is a Chag. It is a holiday, a Jewish holiday, but a holiday that is indigenous to Israel. And it is called Tu Bishvat. Tu Bishvat. Um, I think that for no better a, a, a easy description, a thumbnail description is the holiday of trees. It's the 15th of the month of Shvat. And um, it is the day that actually marks the beginning of the new year for trees. I throw this out to you because years and years ago, I heard about a fellow who became Torah observant because he heard about a mitzvah, a commandment that we have uh, that's actually a chok. It is a chok, meaning it's a commandment that has no apparent um, superficial logic to it, but we observe it because we commit to observing the 613 mitzvot. And what is this chok? It is the law of shotness. Shotness where we separate um, certain fabrics that they shouldn't be together in our clothing. 
anybody in the world of uh, manufacturing clothing would say, what is that? That's craziness. But why did this man become observant because of this little a little celebrated mitzvah called shatnis, the separating of um, materials. He said, if this is a religion that could be so sensitive, indeed sensitized to the feelings of inanimate, um, inanimate plants or objects, how much more important is a human being? And I think about that when I think about Tubishvat, that we are the original ecologists celebrating trees. Um, the earliest blooming trees in Israel are emerging even now in early February as the, it is so cold outside from their winter sleep and they're beginning the new fruit-bearing, bud-bearing flower bearing cycle. I see it on my own mirpeset, my own patio as I drink coffee in the morning. We see hail flipping by the window and yet we say, look at that. There are buds on the tree. And it's this is the day that we remember that as the Torah states, a man is a tree of the field. And we reflect upon the lessons that we can actually get from our interdependence on what is commonly referred to as nature. And if you're going to go looking up to Bishvat, as I did in preparation for today's show, I beg you, beg you, beg you, make sure that the sources that you are gleaning your information from are Torah-based sources, Jewishly Torah-based sources. I just quiver because this the object of this program is to inform, if not to entertain. As I was looking up Tubishvat to simplify the language, I came up comparison to Tubishvat and Loalenu Valentine's Day. So take that where you want. If you're confused, if anything you'd like to know more about a better source, I ask you with all respect and really in the in 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 friendship stretching across the seas, write to me. Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I will do my darndest to send you uh, to more accurate sources. And if I can't, I will do my best to find someone, somewhere, some source that will best address your concerns. Um, okay. You know, I think about, this is a critical partial we're going to talk about this week. Um, Parsha B'Shalach. And, um, but everything that we're talking about today is going to actually connect to the Devar Torah section toward the end. Rabbi Eliyahu Dressler, who is famous for having written the, um, I don't know how it is in Hebrew, a three or four book series. I know that I have it in English. And Rabbi Eliyahu Dressler's most famous tome is called Michtav Eliyahu, letter from Eliyahu. And uh, that's just giving you a little bit of a background. And Rav Eliyahu Dressler asks in his volumes, well, he tells a story. I call this the why am I here segment. Um, it's a question that plagues all of us. Our children, our grandchildren say, why was I born? What is the purpose of life? And of course, it's not standing on one leg, a Rabbi Hillel 
um, answer where we say, you know, everything is covered, you know, you know, what, what, what you find unpleasant to yourself, don't do to me and the rest is commentary. Or maybe it's the reverse, what you find pleasant, do for me. But um, Rabbi Eli Dressler tells the story of a young man who appears at a very illustrious yeshiva. And he says to, um, and he says to, the, the Rav says to him, asks him the same question that he asks all the students. And he says to this student, what brings you to our yeshiva? And in all youthful innocence, the young student answers, the train. Rav Dressler explains that a lot of things happen in life. But the major question really is, why is God making this happen? Life is meaningless. Um, if it's just perceived in the physical, which train was taken and not the deeper meaning. I just think that that's a nice thing to reflect upon as we celebrate um, Tu Bishvat. I was going to say Tisha Tu Bishvat this week and um, look it up. Celebrate, fill your table with dried fruits, with flowers, with bounty, and especially the um, the fruits of the land. You know, if you can find, I don't know about you in the winter, but if you can find some grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, and of course, dates, fill it up, say the brachas, and reflect on the lessons we can indeed learn from being part of it. Okay, good, yeah. I, I got a little fast with my what it really, what Rabbi Hillel is actually saying is don't do unto others that which is repugnant to you. Is that love your fellow man? Don't do unto others. And the rest is commentary. All right. When we come back, we are going to talk about, um, we are going to talk about some of the events that happened last week. And um, very quick, a very quick shout out. Anybody in Israel, anybody in Yerushalayim, I received this today and it really does connect. There is a bar mitzvah this morning taking place at the hotel. Nine o'clock, the hotel is the Western Wall Hotel Hamaravi. And um, they were waiting for 35 or 40 people from their family to attend. And because of the weather, people aren't coming. So anybody who can come and attend Daniel's Bar Mitzvah, 9 o'clock at the Kotel this morning, there will be food, there will be simcha, and let us do what we do best, doing for one another. Okay, uh, let's see what else before we take our break. I like doing that. That was a PSA, a public service announcement. Okay. Um, write to me. Tell me how your country, your neighborhood covered the terrorist attacks this week in Israel. And I will tell you our response, the general Israeli response coming from the right, from the left, in between, and from all of those who know what parody is about. Not parody, but parity. Okay, it's been a rough week in Israel, and um, we have a lot to talk about when I come back. Andrea Simendov, see you on the other side.
Okay, good morning. We're back. We are back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. All right. For those of you who are listening, oh, Australia joined us. Hi, Australia. Isn't it afternoon by you already? Nice, nice, nice. Grateful. Um, all right. We read it again and again in all our papers, the cycle of violence. Thankfully, and I really say this thankfully, nobody in my orbit, and I have friends from all across the spectrum, Jewish friends, not Jewish friends, it's usually the liberal Jewish friends who tend to um, challenge Israel's Israel's actions, or may I say reactions to the reality under which we live. Uh, But nobody dared challenge me about how the Arabs must be feeling today and how uh, unfair Israeli strength is juxtaposed to the sad, beleaguered lives of our Arab neighbors. My friends, it is very wearying. Just some thoughts. Thursday night, and I'm embarrassed because I didn't even know this. That's how little I listen to the news. You would think I would know more. But on Thursday night, this past Thursday night, a week ago tonight, there was a brilliant action in Janine with apparently, where there was one exception, an elderly woman was caught in the crossfire. Members of what they call Sikh Palestinian Islamic Jihad, I think that nine members were killed. Who were they? They were about to undertake a massive terrorist attack against civilians. The initial reports said that they were discovered with tons of dangerous equipment and they were, by any caliber, terrorists who are en route to commit atrocities against civilians. I don't know about you sleeping at night in your country, but I sleep very well knowing that at the helm are those who would dare, I shake, excuse me, as a parent of a a reservist to think that we are able to not catch them afterwards, but catch them before. Nine murdered terrorists who would do untold damage. If Israel weren't concerned about harming civilians, Oh my gosh, I'm choking here. <clears throat> Pardon? I don't have a glass of water in this high-tech studio. Um, we wouldn't have to risk soldiers' lives sending into these places like Janine. But no, they don't want to bomb terrorist strongholds for fear of injuring all of the nearby Arab civilians. So what do we do? They engage in much more dangerous for the soldiers, targeted assassinations. And I have to tell you, as the mother of a reservist, I shiver at the idea of my son's life being doubly endangered to protect some of those who indeed despise us. And yet regardless, we do it. The Israelis killed last Friday night, Leil Shabbat, the Holy Sabbath. They were all civilians. There was a 14-year-old boy. Pause a moment. Just pause a moment from wherever you're listening. Parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents. 
a 14-year-old boy. I don't have to go on and say with every tomorrow before him. There was a Ukrainian refugee among the murdered. Fresh off the plane. A married couple, an adorable married couple, later in life married couple, who were sitting at their Shabbos table eating dinner, had finished singing Shalom Aleichem. And they heard the sounds of the bullets and the sirens. And what did they do? They threw down their forks and their napkins and they ran to help. Butchered. There's no telling how many attacks have been thwarted. thwarted. As of Motsi Shabbos last Saturday night, there have been at least, there were at least seven that we know of terrorist attacks in Israel that were nipped in the bud. Maybe more, probably more. They're not making the news. All of them targeted against civilians. The word civilians a little too sterile for you. Against mommies, against daddies, against grandpas and grandmas and babies. And don't blame this on a right-wing government. The current government has nothing to do with the decisions to go into Janine because of Islamic Jihad cells, nor the response to these cells. It might be just my opinion, but I don't think so. It is what any responsible Israeli government would do, must do, whether a popular administration or not. The Israeli populace, the response was shock, dismay, paralysis. And even last Saturday night at the, by now, weekly protests against the current government's judicial um, decisions, there were moments of silence. The response, and here is your nikuda, your point, take this with you. What was the expected response? And they did not fail to deliver in all of the Arab communities, fireworks, candy, song and dance in the streets, great jubilation, that Israeli civilians were successfully murdered. Terror is terror. There is no parity. Um, some of you have seen, it's a tongue-in-cheek, but I'm sad. I don't like it, but it's tongue-in-cheek. It's called the Palestine Desk Calendar. And someone sent it to me, and it looks like your regular uh, weekly date book. And what does it say? You know, each day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and it just goes down. Day of rage, day of anger, day of outrage, day of violence, day of peak, day of fury, day of hatred, Fits, day of envy, vexation, animosity, irk, hurt feelings, dander. I ask you, I ask Arab mothers, when will you say stop? 
stop. Stop with the frenzy, the hysteria, the fuming. We know. We know when, when we give you back land, when we give you back everything, when we give you back all we've built, all we have, when you push us in the sea, yeah, you won't be done. All right. Sorry. All right. But I'm looking, this is actually a woohoo moment. We're going to just finish this up. Let me just see now. <laughs> Israel Daph. Doctors baffled with weight loss. Here we go. Oh my gosh, I only have three minutes in this segment. One second, I have too many advertisements uh, in this section. Stay with me. Yeah. And in just finishing this, in finishing this topic, um, many media outlets, you know, I, I have to tell you, when I called my family in New York, I said, did you hear? Did you what? Nothing nothing on Shabbos day. I think a 13 year old boy opened fire on some people at, uh, by the old city. He was shot, neutralized, put out of commission, not the murders of innocent civilians, not the butchering of people who were sitting from their Sabbath table. Instead, what did, I think it was the New York Post, said, Israeli soldiers opened fire on 13-year-old boy. This is what we're dealing with. What kind of mentality? I looked at a video this week. I was weeping. An Iranian couple in their 20s, a newly engaged couple, so excited. They danced in their video. Where were they dancing? By Tehran's Azadi Freedom Tower. They are both imprisoned now. Uh, both Arab couple, 21-year-old and her 22-year-old fiancé, were accused of promoting corruption, prostitution, colluding against national security. You know what? It's not really just there's a twist, there's an illness, there's a sickness that's going on. And it has to be stopped somewhere. And you know what? So far I see Israel is the only one rising to the challenge. Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk about the song, the Sabbath of song, what singing means, why we sing, why we are singing the same song that we always did. And we're going to talk about um, what it means to sing one soul, to sing the greatness of God, to sing of community and of all the glorious tomorrows that lay ahead. And what's to me more alarming, more exciting, to be singing the same songs that we have sung for thousands and thousands of years. Um, the things we keep the things that stay. Very excited to share that with you. My name is Andrea Simintov, and guess what? We'll get together on the other side. We're back, 
Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Um, I have a confession to make. We all like confessions. We all like true confessions. All right. So I ran, I ran to get a glass of water during the break, during this little short break. And there was a glass on the table and I quickly filled it with water. And only as I guzzled it down did I realize it was a little bit of wine in the glass from last night's dinner. It's now 7.33 in the morning and I've had my daily dose of wine. It was water, just a little bit flavored water with wine. Okay, so I hope that the uh, show is as lofty, the end of the show is as lofty as we're hoping. Um, Sheer. Shira Shirim, this Parsha, this Torah portion, you know, when I was growing up, I admit, I share with you, I knew every Christmas carol there was. I knew every Andy Williams song. In my heart, I thought to myself, I could marry him if he'll just convert to Judaism. He was so handsome. Um, Unless you think... I'm just spewing uh, uh, pap here. I was actually one of the three kings of the Orient bearing gifts, okay? I was carrying the gifts to the manger. I knew the music better than any of my Christian friends, and I liked the music a lot better than the music of my people, which seemed to have been completely consumed with minor keys and chords and felt bleak. No. I skipped through Macy's during the holiday seasons and um, and I sang along to music that was not mine. That was the narrative of my, of my youth. This week's Parsha is called Shabbat Shira, the Shabbat of song. And it refers to the beautiful song of Moshe, Moses. Okay, but we're going to use all the Hebrew terminology. Of course, the staff here always lets me know when I'm getting a little too Hebrew-centric. The song of Moshe and the people of Israel. And it actually comprises most of this week's Torah reading. All of the different communities of the Jewish people have devised, created different melodies and intonations for the recitation of this song. In fact, it wasn't until about um, let's see, 15, 20 years ago, that I thought that anything, I, I grew up in a very Litvak, a very Lithuanian kind of community, and we had the same songs. And only later, when I started to join more hipster minions, did I find out that there was really beautiful music, different music, attached to the traditional songs. The song of songs is so important that it is part of our everyday tefillah, our everyday prayer. This song has accompanied us throughout our long, long journey from the banks of the Yamsuf, the Sea of Reeds, until today. Now, the song has a lot of parts. You could look it up. You could Google it. Google Song of Songs. It has words, lyrics, but it also has within it different musical themes, rhythms, cadences that appear when it's performed. It has a melody, definitely. There's a distinctive chord. And more than anything else, a song that's easily identified, even when the lyrics are a little bit fuzzy. You know, like, what does that exactly mean? And when the music 
fades, the background in our recollections. How many of us, I remember my mother would always start singing. She loved this song. Um, I don't want to, I don't I, this is, a, it's an important connection. My mother would always say, what is that song? Like that? She moves, it's like, a, like no other. She would mumble a Beatles song, but she loved it. And it reminds me of this because there's certain things that stick in our psyches, certain things that are indigenous to being Jewish, to having been present at the splitting of the sea that stays within our memory and is innate to our senses. This is why this Shabbat is called the Shabbat Shira, because it's the melody of Moshe Rabbeinu and the people of Israel. The song has remained with us, even though the words and the overall music theme, like the Beatles songs, they may have been forgotten by a large portion of the present day Jewish world, but it's still there. Rabbi Beryl Wine tells this wonderful story about a Jewish professor of philosophy in Toronto, and will actually connect my um, previous Christmas song tale. Um, he was a completely secular uh, professor of philosophy, and his name was, for those of you who know, Emil Fackenheim. Okay? He was completely non-observant, and nevertheless, he wrote with great understanding and appreciation of the Torah Jewish tradition. Rabbi Wine speaks of meeting him and having this interesting conversation with him. And Professor Fackenheim told him, um, and this incident has actually been recorded in one of his books, that when he attended public school in Germany, the teacher insisted that all of the class sing Christmas carols. His father, though not an observant Jew, felt that this was kind of unfair to the Jewish students in the class, especially to his little Emil. Um, I felt very awkward because my parents and my father of blessed memory was a very, very proud Jew. And yet he did not protest when we sang. I mean, my fear of being sidelined was far more prevalent than my father's disdain for me being asked to sing Christmas carols. So um, his father went to teacher. Professor Fackenheim's, I love that name. Uh, his father went to the teacher to plead that the Jewish student be, student, students be excused from singing these Christmas songs. And after a long discussion, they agreed, both the teacher and the father, reached a compromise. The students would only hum the melody and not be required to sing the words themselves. At the time of his discussion with Rabbi Wein, Fackenheim was now a German refugee and had experienced firsthand the brutal anti-Semitism and the strong arm of Nazi brutality. And he said, we should not have even hummed the melody. Which raises the question in Jewish life today, what is the melody that we are humming? The prevailing mel melodies of the progressive Western culture, they injure, they're injurious to our souls to our well-being. There are Jews who still know the words to our great song, but they've forgotten the melody. They're being deprived of the true beauty and the worldview of Torah and its ethical value system. There are Jews who no longer know the words, but the melody of the song still somehow 
haunts them. For them at least, there's hope. The song itself can be, must be, that pintily yid, a teeny, teeny spark that still remains in every Jewish soul. Unfortunately, there are those who no longer know either the words and they don't know the melody. Those are the ones who disappear. I know someone in my real life who returned to Torah observance. He was, he, he is married to a woman who was not Jewish. And one day, he saw, must have been in the late, in the early 1970s, late 1960s, he saw the show Fiddler on the Roof, the Broadway show. Maybe he saw the movie starring um, Chaim Topol. I don't know. And something about that beautifully, ac accurately displayed screenplay, stage play, touched him in such a way that he began to explore his Yiddishkeit, his Judaism, and today he is an active, observant Torah Jew, and his wife became a converted, completely Torah-observant Jew. That's the power of music. That's the power of connecting to that little flame that still is. For those of us who are fortunate enough to remember everything about the song, the words, the music, the melody. Aren't we duty-bound to teach the song to everyone with whom we come into contact? In Perkei Avot, um, Perkei Avot, I think it's Ethics of Our Fathers, Shimon Hatzadik the righteous Shimon says that the world is based upon three principles. Some of you know this. I'll do the translation in a minute. Torah, Avodah, and Gemilut Chasadim. This means the study of Torah, serving God, and acts of loving kindness. So concerning the principles of Torah, it states explicitly, Pirkei Avot, Im lo briti yeoman velayla chukot shamayim va'aretz lo samti. If not for my covenant day and night, I would not have ordained heaven and earth. It's apparent from this verse that without the principles of Torah, the world would never have come into existence. It's a blueprint Without the study of Torah, the world would cease to exist. Now, we're all quite familiar with the second principle, avodah, serving Hashem, or service, service to God. Nowadays, without the presence of our base Hamigdash, the Holy Temple, avodah, which was then korbanot, sacrifices, we express it in our daily prayer. I must, I have to interject and tell you that as I was learning to put together this Torah read, this Torah, this Devar Torah, it, it gave a whole new depth to my daily prayers. And I realized that it's not an obligation to be done away with, to hurry through, to get off my checklist. 
but it's an opportunity, the only one I have left to get as close to that which we were required to do when we had the existence of our holy temples. And the last principle, gimilut chasadim, that's um, loving kindness. Who can't get behind that one? But it needs a little more explanation to clarify the importance. This week's portion is going to hopefully help us understand the importance and the the relevance that loving kindness plays, especially in these days of turmoil. We won't go back over that. You know, the very beginning of the portion, it opens with Hashem guiding the Jewish nation out of Egypt. And there's a lot of jokes. We, we, we make a lot of jokes, but you know what? Today on Little Hummer, we said, you know, the reason Moshe took, it took 40 years is they didn't have ways. There was no GPS. Yuck, yuck. I'm guilty of spreading the jokes. But you know, the Torah says, and God did not lead them through the way of the Philistines, although it was near, but rather God led about the people by way of the wilderness, by the Red Sea. Um, this doesn't seem to indicate any time of convenience, any type of convenience or practicality for the Jewish nation, as Derech Eret Plishtim was the way of the land of the Plishtim. That was the direct route, okay? You know, you plug in various routes, easiest routes, avoid tolls. They were fleeing from the Egyptians and had to leave as fast as possible. Egypt was very close. Egypt was at their tail. Why then would God take the Jewish nation on a longer journey than necessary? Now, those of us who study, um, we know this is the first time I'm getting to somewhere different. I had always been under the impression was we needed the generation to die out in the Midbar, in the desert, so that a new free nation could be born, not a nation with a slave mentality. And that is certainly a viable discussion. But in answer to um, not taking uh, taking a, a, a more difficult route and connecting it to um, kindness, one answer is that God knew that if B'nai Israel would have taken that shortcut via Derech Eretz Plishtim, the way of the Philistines, the Philistines would undoubtedly have seen this as an act of aggression and instinctively would have declared war on them. The Midrash advances this view and says that if B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, had taken the direct route and encountered the Philistines, huh, they would have immediately returned to Mitzrayim, to Egypt, as the only safe haven they knew in escape from their enemy. That's why God, showing his loving kindness towards the Jewish nation, led his people on a longer, yet safer path. It appears, um, at least to my you know, untrained eye, that this Torah portion is filled with various forms of chesed, of kindness performed by God on behalf of the children of Israel. Chesed, such as the man, the manna that fell from heaven. Kriyat Yamsuf, the parting of the Red Sea. And the bitter waters of Marah, turning them sweet. 
This was performed by God and God alone for B'nai Yisrael in spite of our constant state of dissatisfaction, intolerance, carping, complaining. Sound familiar, boys and girls? The Chafetz Chaim says that when the Jews were in Egypt, they gathered together and made a pact to do chesed, to do kindness for each other. At the time of their enslavement, they searched for ways to be saved from that, those evil decrees of Paro. That's Pharaoh. This is when they decided to do kindness for each other, little acts in the hope that just as they did acts of loving kindness, God just might reciprocate in kind and redeem them from their enslavement. We can see that the merit of chesed proved to be their ticket to freedom. The Chafetz Chaim adds that by doing kindness, by doing chesed, we help bring about redemption for all of our people. A lesson for all generations. You know, I, I digress from my text. And I say that when we stand in the synagogue, on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, and we pray for God's mercy, God's kindness to our family, God's blessings of health, God's blessing of parnasa of income, God's blessings of peace. This Parsha reminds us to come with clean hands, to bless others, do for others, so that God can say, look at that. They're acting Elokim in my in in my um image. I can certainly bless them. So the acts of chesed that they began doing for one another in Egypt were in practice to receive his bountiful brachot. One of the many ways that um B'nai Yisrael merited God's chesed were through the actions of Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, our teacher. Amid the story of the Exodus from Egypt, the, um, the Chumash, the five books of Moses, tells, you know, talks about um, the additional concern of Moshe to gather up the remains of Joseph, of Yosef, in order to fulfill the promise that Yosef elicited with B'nai Yisrael as the agents. The action of taking Joseph from Egypt, he did not want to be buried in Egypt for all eternity. It was an act of chesed, of kindness, that we could perform. And so what is commonly referred to, I love this, as chesed shel emet, literally the kindness of truth, is considered the highest form of chesed, of kindness. Could Yosef rise from the dead and thank them? No. There would be no bonus points on the other side. Rashi explains that one who performs chesed shel emet, the kindness of truth, quote, does not look forward to any type of reimbursement or reciprocity. I tell you, when you go to an Orthodox 
Jewish funeral. It is a staggering, very emotional part. When they take the nifter, when the deceased individual is taken for from the place of the hespedim, where they, 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 they talk about they talk about him and they carry him to the grave in silence. The of the eulogies, right? The word is eulogies. See, I'm forgetting the English, but it's not really replaced with anything. You just become illiterate in two languages. Um, when they carry the deceased individual to the final place of burial, the attendees follow in silence, silently walking silently accompanying him or her to their final resting place, knowing that they can never be thanked in person in this life for that kindness. It is chesed shel emet. And so it was due to this chesed of B'nai Yisrael, as well as the chesed, the kindness of Moshe, that led to our freedom from Egypt. When we say the following in our prayers every day, quote, you have led in your chesed the people who have redeemed, who you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your habitation. We see that God pays back, so to speak, mida kaneged mida, measure for measure. Consequently, if we perform chesed for one another, we can certainly hope and pray that God will perform chesed for us. My name is Andrea Simintov. Thank you for joining me this morning. Shabbat Shalom Umivorach from Jerusalem. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. 
I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Da from Maladjamin, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 